You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. So if you wouldn't mind taking your Bibles and opening up to the Bible book of Galatians. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, our... Ushers are stepping up to see if the uh, grabbing a stack of Bibles and coming down the aisle. And if you want to borrow one, just wave at them, and they'd be happy to put a uh, Bible in your hand that is a loaner. Just leave it there when you're done. I encourage you to, but I encourage you to always bring your Bible and, and so you can learn from it. Also, take out of your worship folder the uh, outline that's there. There's some blanks to fill in. The answers will be up on the screen. I'll also be giving some extra verses, and you can write those down, or you can pick up after the service. Um, one of these uh, study guides, and we do these most every week. Uh, they're used a lot for our life group studies. Many of our life groups go through these. Uh, they're called sermon-based studies, and they go through these questions. And if you're wondering about a life group, because uh, that's really where the church is the church, a smaller group uh, atmosphere, um, I encourage you to check out the table. It's right outside of these double doors. And if you turn left, uh, there's a sign that says Community Life Group. That's, that desk is a community life group desk. These pages are there, but you can sign up for one. If you'd like to try one out, uh, there's one that meets on Tuesdays at 7 o'clock. I help lead that one. You can see signs all over here to help you to get there and encourage you to try that out. But, but do pick up one of these. It's great for personal study. And then on the back of that is all the answers to the, to the blanks in here, but plus all the extra verses. And so that'll help you as you kind of study along with that and, and that and encourage you with that uh, and have your outline available with that. You know, the, the contrast in that video um, is clear. And, and the Bible is sure that the church, this, this gathering of believers in Jesus, is to be seen more like a battleship, or, or I like to actually put a picture of a mercy ship up there, which is, is like a battleship in that it's been transformed to be this uh, battleship against the disease and against issues that happen in our world. And they pull up to shore and they do all kinds of surgeries and help with different uh, um, health crises in the world. And, and they have a clear mission just like a battleship. But, but the church is, is was seen more like a battleship in Scripture and a mercy ship than, than a cruise ship. <laughs> Whereas you saw in the video, uh, you know, it's all about myself and how comfortable I feel and am I getting a good experience with this and, and it kind of a, a lot of people sitting on deck chairs sipping lemonade and very few people going around doing anything. And, and that's not the idea that God presented in, in Scripture. And that for like that battleship or that mercy ship that God presents in Scripture, there is a call and clarity for an all-hands-on-deck call to be ready for duty, ready for service. Each of us choosing to be part of a crew of a vessel on a mission. That crew is God's family. That vessel is his local churches where God has given a clear mission to live and love like Jesus. Matthew 28, or 22, verses 36 to 40, where Jesus asked what's the most important thing to do. And Jesus said, love God, love others. And, and however, things have become muddled and uh, confused as we try to, to mix in this hedonistic, self-focused world of today, mixing in that American dream that says, I deserve more, I demand better, I'm entitled to have whatever my heart's desire 
but our hearts tend to lead us down a confusing and, and really difficult path. History, uh, personal experience, and God's word reveals the reality that our heart is deceitful. Desperately sick, as Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says. And so we get confused, maybe a bit dejected and feel we're already stressed enough. How can we do more, give more, sacrifice more? What we really want is just, we really want just for a moment to sit on a deck chair and sip and enjoy some lemonade because the world seems so hectic. And we see how can we absolutely do more? And we hear this all hands on deck and we get a little bit um, weary because we feel we're already somewhat battle weary. Much like the confusion and weariness of the Union Army of the North in America's Civil War of the 1860s. It was about a year and a half into the brutal war and the Union troops and leaders were becoming disillusioned not even sure what they were fighting for. President Abraham Lincoln had penned a a preliminary emancipation proclamation freeing slaves. But was advised not to issue it until it was sure that he was going to have success by way of a, a cautious General George B. McClellan of the Union Army. See, the South, the Confederate South Army, was under the crafty and dynamic leadership of General Robert E. Lee and was gaining the upper hand. And sensing the confusion of the North, General Lee thought, here is how he's going to uh, destroy the the Northern Army. And he devised a, a very intricate plan. And he wrote it down. He didn't have copy machines at that time, so he hand wrote it just to make sure, uh, multiple times and sent it out to his troops. Well, one of those handwritten plans had been carelessly left behind, wrapped around a case of cigars as Lee's army marched north, only to be found by some Union infantrymen. Special Orders 191 now was known and given clarity to General McClellan. The battles were still fierce, but the revelation, this revelation of this order gave new hope and readiness. And soon after the the pivotal battle of Antietam, Lincoln announced his preliminary emancipation proclamation, giving even more clarity to the fight, leading the North to victory. See, having clarity is key. Yes, to know where the enemy will strike, but also to know our mission, our purpose, and what part we hold is. Saul, the the Pharisee, we know him as the Apostle Paul, thought he had clarity until on that faithful day and the road to Damascus, as uh, Acts chapter 9 talked about it. We, those of you who were here last week remember uh, uh, Steve Ellis uh, sharing about that particular passage and, and how that, that transformation and others were helping him, that connection with others were helping him. Well, that also conversion gave him great clarity where his now new mission as Paul the Apostle came crystal clear. You see, uh, Paul was a, was a Pharisee. Uh, Saul was a Pharisee, same guy. And he had learned uh, this uh, reality this, uh, as history went on that 
with the law and faith in God, and it turned it into more of a moralism, an ideology that says that I can earn my righteousness by what I do. I do these actions, these commandments that God has given, and somehow those instill with me righteousness as I go along. And moralism was at its heyday at that point, and they had they'd actually skewed the word of God in that regard, not understanding that the law was there, uh, the commandments were there, not so to gain righteousness, but to show how unrighteous we are. And Paul, or Saul, the, the Pharisee, had moved into this uh, zealous for works religion. And yet when Paul encountered Jesus, Paul was given a new clarity of purpose as a servant of Christ, to be part of of the ministry of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus as our restorer, our redeemer, our savior. And to tell how God's story brings clarity to life. And, And you know God's story the story of God uh, being completely in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this triuneness of God uh, living in perfect harmony, decided to make and create all that we see, the stars and the, the universes and the different galaxies that are around there. And he created this galaxy, this, this universe, and, and in this created the sun and all of our different planets that rotate around the sun. And he created those systems and on this particular one called Earth uh, that, that could sustain the life he wanted to create. And so he created that and s- separated the mountains and the sea and all the uh, environmental systems that are there. And then he created animals and plants and and he created us as people in his own image and he set us free in this world and and gave us a free will to choose to follow him or not and fortunately mankind chose not to follow god and when that happened sin reverberated throughout the universe and it changed all the systems around and messed everything up and brought confusion and, and, and not understanding and actually ripped apart man from god and a huge chasm was created And now, sinful man couldn't relate to holy God. No matter how hard we try, we can't. And there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right enough to be in God's presence. That's why we need a Savior, and that's why Jesus came to be that once-for-all sacrifice. He took our sin upon him and died, and then we are covered in his righteousness, and we're made righteous before God that we can have that relationship with him. And that's God's story a story of redemption and, and, and restitution and, and repairing us back to this relationship with God that not only can this, this uh, um, sin be reversed, but it can be changed in our own lives so that now we can enjoy our relationship with God forever when we, once we come to that point of faith and belief. And Paul got all of that. And he understood that Jesus brings clarity and purpose and security, and he's dealt with sin and, and made us righteous, and he's made us family. You see, sin creates fear, yet there is security in Christ. Sin creates upheaval, and yet there is peace in Christ. Sin creates confusion, and yet there is purpose in Christ, and sin creates hopelessness, and yet there is great hope in Jesus Christ. Sin creates invisibility aloneness, seclusion. And yet, there is belonging in Christ. 
Sin creates emptiness. That emptiness of putting something else in our central place of our life that we look as the big influence of our life, whether it be ourself or some other idol, some other thing that we say is so valuable we want to worship it. Not some little amulet, but actually things that we think are so valuable that it, it influences us that's not God. Anything that's not God in that place is an idol. And there's an emptiness when we follow after that, and sin does that, yet there is sufficiency in Christ. When Christ is in that central place, life aligns, as Matthew 6.33 says. Jesus makes it right and brings clarity to life, not self, not religious actions or duties, or certainly not idols. And it's not automatic. It's a choice to believe, to come to that place in life where we understand we're sinful, we need a Savior, recognize it's Jesus, and commit our life to living it His way. Paul found clarity on that road to Damascus. And as he moved on in faith, and we can too, answering this call of all hands on deck. We gain this clarity through revelation, revelation of who God is and who we are, and also through understanding our unique assignment, our unique call. So this morning, I'd like for us to to look at Paul's teaching in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, to all the way through chapter 2, verse 10. It's it's not long, don't worry. We're only going to be here for a couple of three hours. But we're going to discover two avenues of clarity on Jesus' mission. So if you wouldn't mind setting your books aside, standing up, let's pray and ask God to teach us something this morning. Father, thank you for the great clarity of your word, the great clarity through Christ. Holy Spirit, God, help us. Help us gain clarity today. I know even as, I, as we stand here, Lord, there are those who are just confused about life, some because of issues they're dealing with, and some just trying to find out where they fit. And God, I, I pray that today, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to them. And Lord, may we listen. Teach us, we pray in your son's name. Amen. You can have a seat and encourage you to keep that outline out, jot down some notes. You may be surprised at what God says to you today. But uh, two avenues uh, of clarity on Jesus' mission. The first avenue of clarity is clarity through revelation. You know, just like those lost orders, those lost orders of General Lee, they would have done no good if someone had not read them or done something with them. Uh, the rest of the story is, is that these two infir- inter- infant- infantrymen, thank you, that was a mouthful. Try to say that nine times fast. <clears throat> these infantrymen found this package, and I'm sure they were more excited about the cigars uh, than what was wrapped around them. But somebody decided to read what's around them, and they noticed a name, General Robert E. Lee, and they thought, ooh, that's a name I know. <laughs> this sounds important. And so they head them up the ranks, and it got to General McClellan, and, and, and General McClellan knew where Lee was going to attack at certain times, these orders said. But what if those infantrymen would have never read them? just thrown them to the side. They would have changed history, historians tell us. But something in there revealed to them a truth that they could go out and it changed the course of history. So how do we understand this revelation of God? Four components of revelation. The first is God's word. Let's look at our text. 
Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Paul's writing to the believers in Galatia, explaining about gaining clarity in here. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. God's word is what reveals Jesus as John 1 Verses 1 and 14 explains he is the living word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus is the word of God. He's the one who, who reveals to us all about the Father. We can look at Jesus and see what God is like. We can look at Jesus in his life and see how he wants us to live but also the word of God, the written word of God that you hold in your hand or have on your computer or iPad or whatever you've got. It's the living word of God. This is an important book. It's a gold mine of, of truth of God, his story, his plans, his wisdom, how to know him. That's why Psalm 119, 105 says, your word, God, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word reveals how to come to faith. If you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, God's word shows you how. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will save. That word believe means to understand, not just head knowledge, but understand in your heart to take action towards the fact that you're sinful and need a savior and Jesus is it. Many of you have made that decision of faith and I encourage you, if you haven't yet, make it even today. Make that profession of faith. Believe in Jesus. God's word tells us how. It also tells us how to live in faith. That's why we need to interact with it. That's why uh, when we, did the, we do a campaign every year, we have a devotional book. In that devotional book, it's not just nice sayings, but it's helping you to interact with Scripture, helping you to listen to the Holy Spirit and, and, and work on these passages and try to read a little bit farther so that you are interacting with this living, ooh, breathing Word of God. It really does help. It's full of amazing wisdom. So what is God's word speaking to you? And are you listening? Another component of Revelation is God's Holy Spirit. Uh, look at verses uh, 13 through 17. For you heard of my former life, Paul says, in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Yeah, Paul was out killing Christians. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my own age among my people, so extremely zealous for I for the traditions of my fathers, yet he, had, he was the moralist to the nth degree. He felt you really could earn your salvation by doing. But when he, that's God, who sent me, set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, Messiah Jesus, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. That reveal was not just the encounter with Jesus, but the insight that Jesus is Messiah, God's Savior, came through the Holy Spirit. As Paul went away and, and as, as God's Spirit spoke to him, it revealed to him all that he should do. 
And each one of us has that same spirit. John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, Jesus said to us, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears from the Father, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, each one of us, when we come to faith and believe, have been given the the ultimate life coach, uh, the, the Holy Spirit, to go with us and to help us. That's why when you read God's word, and all of a sudden something, woo, hits into your head, and you go, where did that come from? Holy Spirit. Uh, you're, there, uh, you're there talking to someone, and, and all of a sudden you feel this nudge to you know, go, go share with them or, or be nice to them or do something. That's the Holy Spirit. You're sitting here in church, and you're, you're taking notes, and you're listening, and, and God is saying, ooh, man, you should do that. You're going, who said that? That's the Holy Spirit. He's alive and well, and he always speaks. He always speaks. The key is, are we listening? Are we tuned in to the Holy Spirit? What's he saying? Listen to him. Maybe he's saying to you, get involved in children's ministry, student ministry. We have a, a number of branch churches. We have the Oslo Alameda's branch, and now we have the Garden Grove branch. And the Garden Grove branch needs help. They need some people who God is calling to go down there and encourage them to invite friends and to be involved in their ministry there and to help that ministry grow. Maybe it's the Christmas parties. You heard Susan Peterson talk about Christmas parties and, and you're thinking, man, I, maybe I should do that. Yeah, maybe the Holy Spirit is saying do that or maybe help somebody else who's doing it. Certainly, who should you invite to Christmas this year? The Spirit is speaking the question is, are you listening? Revelation also comes through others. Look at verses uh, 18 to 20. Then after three years, I went up, Paul talks, to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained there 15 days. But I saw no one except for the other apostle. I, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I, I don't lie. Paul spent time with others who were experts farther along in their faith, been closer to Jesus than he had been, and they helped him understand his calling. But I want you to notice something in this. Notice it was Peter, or excuse me, it was Paul who went to Peter. Paul took the initiative to go to Peter. See, for some reason, we have this notion that, um, well, if Somebody wants to use me in the church, they should come to me. I mean, I'm pretty important. And we sit there and wait. Well, if God wants it to happen, then it will just come and fall in my lap. But that's not what God says. He says, take the initiative. If the apostle Paul can take the initiative to seek out Peter to understand this call, certainly you can and I can. We're listening to God's word and his spirit and, and on our initiative to look at, to others for mentoring and coaching. That's why Proverbs 27, 17 is clear. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We should look to mentors and coaches and, and help out there. People have been longer in the faith than we have where we can be open and vulnerable and willing to learn where there's revelation. That's why life groups are so important because you can actually get to know somebody in there and they can look and say something, wow, you have a talent for that. You ought to be doing that and encourage you along the way. We gain revelation through others. Yes, through the Holy Spirit. Yes, through God's word. Revelation can also come through experience. 
Look at uh, Galatians 1, 21 and 24. Paul says, Then when I went up to the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown to, in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, they only were hearing it said, he, is who, he, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Paul spent time teaching. He ventured out and went for it. He was teaching because as a Pharisee, he knew how to teach, and so he did, and God used him. Each experience he had, he learned, and he kept going. So we're to try to take little risks and see what experience yields. How many of you were here last week? Just raise your hands. And you heard uh, Steve Ellis speak. You saw Steve Ellis. Wasn't that awesome? Isn't he a great communicator? Man, he tells like stories like nobody else. And wait till he goes into a British accent. I love that when he does that. But you know, uh, I've, I've, known, I've known Steve for years and, and he was on the elder board and, and we would get together. Many times we would have uh, discussions and he'd say, Mike, I'm trying to find my unique call. What is my unique call? And I knew how he was a good orator, uh, you know, and as, as a lawyer, he speaks a lot. So, um, you know, in front of juries and things like that and judges and he knows how to speak really well. And, and, and I love it when he reads scripture. But so I said, you know, Steve, why don't you, I'd love to see you preach. I mean, he's got some great biblical knowledge and, and, and even at one point felt God might call, be calling him into the ministry and, uh, a while back. And, and I said, well, let's see if God can use you. And he began to be teaching up front here. And, and, you know, he took the risk of doing that. I don't know, Mike, if I could be on the big stage. <laughs> and I thought, no, you have got a gift. And doesn't he have a gift? Wow! I mean, crying out loud, that guy's awesome. God uses him in a tremendous way. And it wasn't just, you know, that he had a great oration, but many of you told me, and I even heard it myself when I listened to it online, of, wow, God used him. And many people came up to me and said, man, the Lord used Steve in my life that day and it was encouraging. And see, he was, through experience, he took the risk. It was confirming of his call. So what will we do with this knowledge? Will we just sit on it and sip lemonade in the deck chair of a cruise ship church or jump in to the all-hands-on-deck reality of the church we are? Those orders found by those infantrymen what if they had never been, they just sat on him? Because it does say, historians, historians say that if those orders would have never been found, it would have been a complete different reality of the outcome of the Civil War. But what's holding you back? What's holding you back from, from really seeking uh, to be used of God? What's holding you back? Is it the issues you're going through? Is it the problems you're facing? Is it frustrations? God wants to use you at any point in your life. Uh, when you're on a, on a battleship and you may not be feeling like it, when the, call, when the call comes, all hands on deck! Oh, I don't feel like it right now. Please tell my commanding officer I'm really not ready. You know, I've got some problems I just need to think through. It's just been a rough day. Halloween was last night. My kids have a sugar coma. And it's just... No! You jump up! Yes, sir! And how high do I jump? <laughs> it's that kind of thing when God calls, we move and get on board. And, and, and uh, that's where the victory is found. We just keep waiting for what's, when's God going to show me something? He's already shown, just get on with it. 
gain from his word, listen to his spirit, connect with others, gain experience, and you will find clarity. The question is, will you? The next avenue of clarity is clarity through our assigned unique call. As we look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we're not going to look at all his verses specifically, but three ways Paul was assured of his unique call as he re- as his, his unique call was to reach out with to non-Jews, uh, to reach out to Gentiles. And that's very unusual because actually the Christian faith or the faith in Jesus started with just the Jewish believers. You know, Jesus was Jewish and the, and, the, and the disciples were all Jewish. And so they thought, okay, we're supposed to reach out to other Jews. So that's what they were doing, helping to see that they're to find, hey, we found the true Messiah. Uh, people who weren't Jews didn't even care about Messiah. Messiah, what? What's the Messiah? <laughs> and so... It was that, but, but God in his, the, the original design for his people, if you read back in, in Deuteronomy, was that God's people was to go take the message of God to the entire world. And somehow it all got muddled up into the reality of it's all about me. And, and uh, God now called up this unusual, unlikely soul called Saul transformed into Paul who knew everything there was to know about the Jewish faith and could have easily reached the Jews and said, no, I want you to reach the Gentiles. And he got that unique call. And how in three ways that that this was confirmed to him. One was by way of confession. In verse two, he confesses it. I'm to proclaim among the Jews, among the Gentiles, he says. Also back in verses 116, says the same thing, that his unique call was to reach out to the Gentiles. He personalized the general call that Jesus had given, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore make disciples of all nations. That's a general call. Paul said, my part of that is non-Jews. He realized and he confessed it. He says, that's my part. I'm to reach non-Jews. And so he said it out that way. And, and we're to do the same thing, to take God's call, to love God, to love neighbors, to love each other, and to personalize it. Matthew 22, verse 37, it says that the general call is to love God. But how am I going to do that? Each one of us need to decide how we're going to do that because each one of us worships God differently. We, we pray differently. We have different ways to praise God. Our service, which is part of our worship, is different. So we're to say, this is how I'm going to praise God. This is how I'm going to love God and confess it. The same way with loving our neighbors. Our neighbors are those who don't yet know Jesus. Each one of us have different neighbors. I mean, I have different neighbors than you unless... There's a few people who live on my block that go come here. But, but uh, we all have different neighbors. That's our unique call is to reach out to those who are around us, in our work, in our school, in our, our neighborhoods, in our communities. And we're to reach out to them in our unique way and to confess that this neighborhood is the one I'm supposed to reach out to. And we're also to love each other. As John 13, 34 and 35 says, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, to love one another. We're to confess that here's how I'm to do that and to love each other in that way. For as a church, we have found our unique call in this, to live and love like Jesus as we compassionately relate to our community and beyond so that all will thrive as followers of Christ. Uh, We've noticed in this area that there are a lot of people that are struggling even in faith. They're struggling in life without Jesus and even in faith they're struggling and we're seeming to live under the stress and, and, and complications of life that's beating us down and we're just simply surviving. And yet the reality is even in the midst of the most difficult situations, God wants us to thrive. 
And so we're to be about that thriving. And God has uniquely equipped our church to help people thrive. And that happens time and time and time again. And I could parade up here story of people who are saying, you know, I was really dejected and downtrodden, downtrodden and all of that. And I've found Christ and I've grown in my faith and I'm thriving as a follower of him, even though my circumstance has not changed. And that's the call that God has given us, our unique call. And as part of this mercy battleship, your unique call fits into our unique call as a church. So figure it out, confess it and get on with it. I'm going to serve in children's ministry. I'm going to serve in Lincoln Family. I'm going to reach out to my neighborhood. Confess that brings clarity. Now, confessing is part of gaining clarity, but clarity of call is also found by way of conflict. Now, you can read of Paul's conflict in in, uh, Galatians chapter 2. It's also found a lot all the way through um, the Acts of the Apostles, the the Bible book of Acts. And then you you hear about it in in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and other writings, and Timothy as well. And and Paul had conflict, partly because, you know, the, the, the... People who are reaching out to Jews say we're saying to Paul, well, you got to have them convert to Judaism, bef- you know, when they become Christians. And Paul's going, are you nuts? Are you crazy? So that's, that's, it's not whether it's Judaism or that. It's belief in Jesus. That's what the important part is. Well, no, they need to be circumcised. Paul's going, hey, no, they don't. No outward sign makes them more righteous. And so they, they, no, they don't need to come into our customs in that way. They need to be followers of Jesus and Christ alone. So there was great conflict. But yet conflict, trials, tension are the very things that help us refine and know our calling. See, these conflicts help shape our Christian faith back in those early times. And we're to follow the principles in Matthew 18 that talk about love and forgiveness. Because the reality is, uh, whenever there's people like, the, like especially the person next to you, there's going to be conflict. Some people say, you know, I want to go to a church with no conflict. Right. As long as there's people in your church, there's going to be conflict. Especially this church. I'm the chief among sinners. <laughs> you know, and I can cause conflict just like the rest of them. And yet it's, Conflict helps refine you. That's that iron, you know, iron sharpening, iron sharpens iron. You know what happens when iron sharpens iron? Sparks fly. In the same way, there's that, 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 that friction should create sharpening. That's why it needs to be done in love and forgiveness. Not trying to prove yourself right, but to find unity. Romans 12, 16 and, 7, 16 and 18 challenge us to live in harmony with one another. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That's how you should go through conflict. Love, tender heart, with humility. Don't repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So we're to walk through conflicts. Our calling will become more and more clear. It's just going to happen that way. And it's okay to go through conflict. It's okay to have struggles. Just follow God's path, and that will lead you to clarity in your call. As well, our call is clarified by way of confirmation. Let's look at the, just the last two verses of, uh, of our text, which is uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, 
Then when James and Cephas, Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, Paul says, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, they to the Jews. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Those in leadership confirmed their call. As well, there was evidence and results of God using them. You know you're in the right place and doing the right things as leadership confirms that and the confirmation that what you're doing works. I know it is for here at our church. You know, we're seeing people's lives changed. We're seeing people moving from thrive, from surviving to thriving. We're seeing marriages saved. We're seeing people come to Christ. We're seeing people find their unique call and doing it, and it's making an amazing impact of our world. I think of just one illustration of this is, a, is a, a, our a former youth pastor, Tony Rodriguez. Tony, when I got here, was struggling, and it just didn't seem like he, he loved youth ministry, and so many wonderful things happened in his, his time of youth ministry, but he didn't, didn't get his, he goes, I think God's called me for more. And so it went through some conflict and, 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 and some, some of that, and some, finally some confirmation that he's called there. And now Tony is doing a ministry in India, and literally thousands of people are being saved. Thousands are being saved. Not just one or two, thousands. It's amazing. I've been there in India and seen a whole village come to Christ. Actual bona fide decisions for Christ. Man, I'm so glad Tony stepped out. I miss him, but I'm so glad he stepped out. And it was by way of confirmation, not only that we as leadership said that, but there was evidence of that. We are not on a cruise ship. We are on a battleship, mercy ship, where you, each one of you, are desperately needed. The all-hands-on-deck call has been given. Will you be part of what's going on? Will you gain clarity? Clarity through revelation, God's word, the Holy Spirit, others' experience. Clarity through getting on with your unique assignment, confession, conflict, and confirmation. Will you do that? God wants to use you in a tremendous way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great reality that each one of us have a duty, have a, have a position to play on this mercy ship, this battleship of this, of this particular church. And God, you want us to, you're not going to force us into that. You say, here it is, and you expect us to take the energy and the initiative to go figure that out and to gain that clarity. Help us with that. We pray in your son's name. Amen.